What's up, Buttercup? Thanks so much for joining me here today on The Shalene Show, where we are going to talk about your thyroid, adrenal glands, adrenal failure, adrenal fatigue. We're going to talk about hormones. We're going to talk about Hashimoto's. We're going to talk about low energy, low libido, what can be done about it, how to fix it, how to know what's going on, what's contributing to it, and so much more. I apologize that we have not gone deep into this topic before today. I've been waiting for the perfect opportunity to speak to the perfect expert. Her name is Dr. Aviva Ram, and she has been on my list for quite some time. She's just super dope. You guys are going to love her, and she's super smart. She is a Yale-trained medical doctor. She's also an herbalist. How freaking cool is that? Some things that we don't get into in this interview, but I just want you to know about Aviva so you understand who it is we're talking to. So by age 22, she was already a practicing midwife. By age 25, she was attending births as a midwife, building her own family. So she would do this with her own children, like strapped to her. She breastfed her children. She homeschooled them. She grew her own garden. She made her own herbal medicines. When her kids were old enough, she then went back to Yale Medical School. Anyways, I'm super excited to have her. I've been listening to her podcast for years. I'm going to put a a link to it in the show notes because it's an amazing resource for you. I mean, she's like a hippie doctor, except for she doesn't look like a hippie doctor. I don't know what a hippie doctor looks like, but she looks hip. She's cool. I just love her. I mean, don't you already want to meet her? And her new book is all about hormone intelligence. Today, I have her on the podcast so that we can specifically talk about your adrenal and thyroid health. But rest assured, she promised that she would come back and talk to me about perimenopause, menopause, hormone replacements. So that's coming. But get excited for this one, because I think for some of you who just have unexplained weight gain and fatigue and you just feel tired and just eh, no energy, no motivation, no mojo, mm, you're going to get so many answers in this episode. Let's get to it. Well, Aviva, I want to start by saying thank you for writing this book. I think it needs to be mandatory reading for all women. It's like the handbook for hormones and I just love everything about it. I love that you make it so simple to understand. I love all the graphs. I love that I can just look up symptoms and understand what that might mean. It's just really fantastic. But I want to start by saying that I love that you let us know we're not broken. It's that the 21st century doesn't fit well with women's hormones. So if you can because I really want to talk about our thyroid and the HPA access and the stress and how that is impacting our hormone levels. But can you give us just a very brief overview of why it is the 21st century doesn't work well with our hormones? Well, first, thank you for having me on the show. And I love hearing how other people describe my book, like what they get from it. And it's really exciting and, and just rewarding. So thank you for That's that. Awesome. Yeah. So you know, we have evolved, however you think about science and humanity and all of that, we have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're here today as women means that we have been 100% pretty perfectly able to reproduce. If we're alive now, we have a perfect biological blueprint in us. And so why is it suddenly that one in six women has trouble with fertility or one in eight with PCOS or one in 10 with endometriosis, something has shifted. So when we look at that, like hundreds of thousands of years and the last 30 years when we're seeing this upturn in these symptoms in what are otherwise normal biological functions, we have to ask what's going Mm -hmm. on. 
And there have been some very specific things that have changed in the last few decades. Namely, our stress is higher and more relentless than ever. We're more distracted by FOMO, social media. And I know that sounds so lofty, but the reality is that studies are now showing that, for example, 20-year-olds are having less sex than any generation in the last few generations before them because they're distracted by social media at night. We know that girls as young as six, eight, and nine are going into full-on puberty. So something has happened. So we have to look at the stress. We have to look at the foods that we're eating. We have to look especially at something called endocrine disruptors, these chemicals that are honestly everywhere in our environment, not to sound like the sky is falling, but the reality is they're in our food, they're in our water, they're in our air, they're in our homes, they're in our cosmetics, they're in our household cleaners, they're in our body products. And those directly interfere with our hormones. So that's why I feel like it's so important for us as women to not think there's something wrong with us and to also know that all these things point in a direction of things that we can actually do to be empowered and take back our hormonal health. And at just listening to that description, our first reaction might be to like, just throw in the towel, like, what's the point? Like, I have all of these things stacked against me. It's everywhere. It's, there's nothing I can do to change these things. But your book really does do a phenomenal job of outlining kind of like how to prioritize these things and kind of to take back control. I want to talk for a moment about, like, I notice you don't use the term adrenal fatigue that much in the book. But that's a phrase I hear a lot of women using like, oh, I'm in adrenal fatigue or I've got a thyroid problem. So some of these terms can be used interchangeably. Generally speaking, though, you describe it as being an epidemic that many women are experiencing. So can we, for definition purposes, talk about the difference between how do I know if I'm having a thyroid issue or if this is adrenal fatigue or a problem with my HPA access? Yeah. So to address the issue of not talking about adrenal fatigue in the book, there's a whole chapter on adrenal health Mm -hmm. and stress. But the term adrenal fatigue is one that I'm cautious with because it's not a real medical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It's something that we understand. It's like hormone imbalance. That's not a real medical diagnosis. We all know what we're talking about. When someone says adrenal fatigue, we all know we're burnt out, we're crispy, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed out, we're stress eating, we're not sleeping, right? We know what it is. But when a woman goes into her doctor's office and says, I think I have adrenal fatigue, her doctor is going to automatically check off this box in his mind or her mind that says, oh, this is one of those loopy people who Mm -hmm. believes the crap they read on the internet. Mm -hmm. And part of what is so important about this book is not just giving you the tools to take back your own health in a kind of DIY way, but to go in and get what you need from your doctor. And so many women who are exhausted, overwhelmed, gaining weight, having all these symptoms that we would call adrenal fatigue or thyroid are exactly the ones that often get dismissed and have their symptoms missed and their diagnoses not uncovered. So what we want to understand is what are we really talking about? And you mentioned the HPA axis. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about when we say adrenal fatigue is really a sense of overwhelm and deep exhaustion that we all know. And it is a 21st century phenomenon, quite literally. Every mammal has the ability to produce stress hormones, fight or flight, and recover within minutes. The problem with us is that, you know, if a lion is chasing a gazelle, the gazelle either gets away or it doesn't. And if the gazelle gets away, it goes right back to its business, you know, watering itself at the watering hole. And all that stress chemical that was filling its body kind of just settles out and their body relaxes. 
This can happen within a few minutes, but we are under relentless to do. And a lot of women who, especially between their like late 30s and mid 50s, often have parents who are older that they're taking care of, kids who may be teenagers or in college now who may be going through their own stuff. They're going through their own, you know, fertility challenges or life cycle stuff, you know, depending on where they are in their life, their hormonal, their menopause. And it can really take a toll and start to affect our sleep, our eating. It can make us gain weight. So what's really happening there is this stress mechanism called the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Say that five times fast. <laughs> right? It gets triggered. You know, it's supposed to be like a light switch that you turn on and automatically turns off with a timer a few minutes later. But it's like we're flipping the light switch on and we're pretty much leaving it on for a good 18 to 20 hours a day. Yeah. So if we get four good hours of sleep in there, you know, by the time we decompress, by the time we wake up, if you get woken up by stress, you know, in the night, you're not sleeping well, it's just a mess. Now, that can cause symptoms of exhaustion, poor sleep, sugar cravings, carb cravings, even fat and salt cravings. Like I always think that that pretzel, whatever, like that chocolate covered pretzel ice cream is like the perfect combination yeah. because it's got the salt, fat, sugar, right. you know, it's got it all in yeah. there that feeds those stress you know, cravings. We might find ourselves getting sick more often. We might find our lady hormones are out of balance, our menstrual cycles are out of balance, but we also may start to have more severe problems like high blood pressure, irregular heart rate, serious hormonal challenges, fertility challenges. We could end up with significant weight gain and even insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. So that's the adrenal part of it that we usually call adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. And it really is, it's truly a dysfunction in that HPA axis. And we have to learn to turn it off. We have to learn to prioritize our well-being because it is a pay now, pay later situation. Yeah. And we know that this activated stress response is at the heart of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, can all be a trigger for that. Not the only reasons, but it can be a big trigger. We are a walking hormone. I like that in the book, you, yeah. you describe it as being that we are stuck in the on position. Exactly, we get stuck in the on position. But thyroid is a little bit different. So about 90% of all the thyroid problems in the United States actually happen in women. And 80% of that is something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Yes. It's an autoimmune thyroid problem. You can also have slow functioning thyroid, but not be autoimmune. But either way, it's usually a slow functioning thyroid. That also makes us feel very fatigued. It typically can cause weight gain, sometimes even 15 or 30 pounds in a few months, and you haven't changed your diet or your exercise. It's really frustrating for women. It can cause depression, anxiety, constipation, poor sleep, dry skin, loss of hair, but also loss of the outer third of the eyebrows. And some women just have a few of the symptoms, and some women have a lot of the symptoms. With hypothyroidism, you have things like the constipation and the hair loss, and usually a little bit more of a depression than you have with the adrenal. Mm. But I always recommend that if you're having those symptoms that kind of fit the picture of thyroid or adrenal, go ahead and get your labs done. Because the only way to 100% be sure if you have a thyroid problem is to get your labs done. Mm. 
And the reality is my patients who went from hypothyroidism to feeling better again because they got on the right thyroid medication usually is what it takes. They're like, oh my gosh, somebody turned the windshield wipers on on my brain fog. Wow. Somebody, you know, put the like accelerator on on my energy for exercise and I'm losing weight again. And so it's really important to get that extra double check. Are there anything signs that would help us to understand like, oh, this is adrenal or this is for sure thyroid? Because there's so many overlapping symptoms. Yeah. I mean, really the only things that would fully tell you would be if you actually had the constipation and the dry skin and the hair loss, that's pretty much going to separate the wheat from the chafe. It's going to say, yeah, this is probably thyroid. But the symptoms are so crossover. I mean, how do you sort of say, well, someone's usually constipated and now they're more tired. Is that adrenal? Is it thyroid? Hard to know. Mm. And the consequences of untreated thyroid are so significant. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You can end up with irregular heart rate. You can end up with cognitive dysfunction. You can, I mean, you can end up with congestive heart failure and dementia in the most severe forms when we're older, if we have it. But even the weight gain that becomes uncontrollable can lead to insulin resistance. When we're more fatigued, we eat more sugar. So you end up on this vicious cycle that you really need to break to get out of that cycle with hypothyroid. Hypothyroid and adrenal come hand in hand also because when your adrenals are activated, it's really interesting actually. So when you get pushed into that stress response mm -hmm. and it gets overactivated, so now you're stuck in the on position, your body doesn't know whether this is some like life-threatening emergency or you just can't stand your boss, you know, and the rent check is due. There's not a real separation in the primitive brain from the 21st century stressors and what would have really gotten us in like life-threatening danger mm -hmm. in primitive times. So when you get into this chronic stress, your body starts to try to conserve energy. So it actually puts the brakes on your thyroid because part of what your thyroid's job is, is to promote metabolism. Mm -hmm. So your primitive brain is saying, Danger, you know, I always say like warning Will Robinson, warning Will Robinson, <laughs> if anyone's old enough to remember that lost in space reference, yes, but it. it's like this danger, danger, danger. And so when you're in danger, it's like, we don't know if the danger is a famine, a saber tooth tiger. So we're just going to have you slow down and store energy. So we slow down and that's why stress can make us gain weight. It makes us crave sugar and carbs because our body's actually trying to fuel that stress response, it takes an enormous amount of energy to fuel that stress response and your body's trying to conserve energy. But here's the thing, it doesn't just put the kibosh on your thyroid hormones, it puts the kibosh on your reproductive hormones because your primitive brain is saying, well, there's danger here. This is not a great time for like baby making music, sex and getting pregnant. This is a time for circling the wagons. And so, as a result of this, both your cortisol and your thyroid also can make your menstrual cycle go off the rails. It can affect your fertility. And we know that for women in perimenopause and menopause, stress is a known trigger for more hot flashes. Mm -hmm. So not a win for our thyroid or our stress hormones or our sex hormones, but here's the thing. Stress is going to happen, right? I mean, right. who could have predicted the pandemic? Who could have predicted so many of the things and just being a human, as I mentioned, teenage kids, older parents, it's a lot maintaining a job, doing the emotional labor that we all do as women on top of the job and the kids. 
And so it's really about how do we learn to prioritize ourselves without feeling selfish, Mm -hmm. but knowing that putting yourself first, at least some, by eating well, getting enough sleep, taking time to exercise, taking time to do something relaxing, it doesn't have to be meditation, but a regular walk in nature, an extra long shower with some aromatherapy oils tossed, you know, into there to like create a nice steam bath. We just really have to learn to really value our well-being because stress can rob it on so many levels. And the stress response that we are currently in, this fight or flight, I think we are at a stage where with notifications, for example, I've looked at some really interesting studies where the body's response to just hearing a notification, even if you're like, I'm not going to look at my phone, there are no emergencies, but I'm going to leave my phone in the room and where they study participants to see what happens to their stress response when they just hear a notification and how our brains haven't evolved to differentiate between was that the roar of a lion or was it a notification that I'm 10 minutes late to pick up my son from baseball, whatever. Like it all creates a stress response. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's been so normalized. It's like if you're listening to really, really loud music, eventually your brain just gets used to it and it doesn't seem loud anymore, where the stress doesn't even feel loud anymore. Right. And the thing is, when you're doing that, you're actually still damaging your ears. Right. And, you know, and what you mentioned about, like, we haven't caught up. Our brains, our hardwiring hasn't caught up with 21st century stressors. Yeah. That's the same thing as with our hormones, like all of our hormones, not just our stress hormones, but there are things that we're constantly being exposed to, the stress, the endocrine disruptors, that we just haven't evolved to be able to manage. We don't have the capacity for it. So learning to hear that, you know, like listening to music a little bit quieter, learning to hear the stress signals, and we all have them. Like we each have a different one. Mm. So, you know, you may be somebody who, when you start to get a little stressed, your neck gets tight. But then if you don't hit pause, you end up with the migraine. Or you might be someone who, when you get stressed out, you might get butterflies in your stomach. But if you don't hit pause, you end up spending the afternoon in the bathroom with irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. So on and on, we each have our own very subtle stress signals that it's so important to listen to because we can't preempt them all. And no meditating on a mat for two hours a day is going to make everyone's, it's not going to pay your bills. It's not going to take your kids to baseball. You still have to show up and do the stuff. So yeah, how do we hit pause and take care of ourselves? It's a big question for women because I think we also feel a lot of guilt. We do. Like even just the idea that we need to prioritize ourselves feels like one more responsibility that I don't have time for. (laughs) You know, like, so if I'm going to say no to something, I guess I'm going to say no to me because it's going to be too stressful to say no to all the other things that I feel responsible for in some way. But it's deeper than that. And I think when we talk about prioritizing our health, that doesn't necessarily mean going to the gym and getting a longer workout, or it doesn't always mean eating a cleaner diet. In some regards, it might mean prioritizing our health by paying attention to the chemicals that we're putting on our body, prioritizing our health by prioritizing sleep, by learning to say no. Like I love that you offer in your book guidelines for even like how to evaluate the things that we say yes and the things that we say no to, because that is, has a major impact on our stress. Well, and you know what you were saying about like, it doesn't even necessarily mean eating a cleaner diet. I mean, I bet if you and I went out on the street right now and did one of those surveys on the street and asked how many women feel like they eat too fast, they're just not chewing their food because they're 
trying to get the dinner on the table for the kids. They're rushing through to the next thing. Yeah. We know from studies that even just slowing down while we eat means we notice when we get full, we don't eat as much, and we actually lose weight. And that, like so many women struggle to lose weight, we struggle to get to the gym, we struggle to eat better. But just the simple fact, if all you do is a couple of things, you know, get seven hours of sleep a night by getting to bed at a reasonable hour, just do it. Mm -hmm. And slow down when you eat and pay attention to when you're eating so that when you're eating, you're not eating at the keyboard or eating in front of the TV set or yeah, eating in the car. Dashboard and keyboard meals is what I call them. <laughs> because we do. We eat 50% more when we're eating like that. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. But I wanted to take a second to tell you about the device I've been using for my skin. And many of you have been asking. I know now I sound like an influencer. A lot of you have been asking, but for real, I do get questions all the time about my skincare routine. I've done a few podcasts sharing what topical products I use on my skin. But I think truly what's made the biggest difference of all is doing the microdermabrasion myself at home. So I have this machine. It's called an Ultraderm MD. And I literally can do microdermabrasion on my own skin at home. And if you've ever looked into having that done at a spa, you know that that can cost like $200, $300 just for one treatment. If that's something you've looked into, I highly recommend that you save your money and invest in your own microdermabrasion system that you can use at home. Specifically, the one that I use is from Trophy Skin. It's called the Ultraderm MD. It exfoliates your skin. It improves the way that your skin absorbs all the products you're putting on it. It makes your complexion super shiny and smooth. It helps to just get rid of all those dry patches and it makes your pores much tighter, much smaller. It makes your makeup go on just beautifully. Now, typically, this machine runs for $349, but as a listener of The Shaleen Show, they're going to give you 30% off. You can get 30% off by using the code LIFER. Don't forget that LIFER when you go to trophyskin.com. You'll use the code LIFER at checkout, and that's going to give you 30% off. They've got other products too, so if that's like out of the budget, they've got this Brightener MD that I love to use. It uses microcurrent stimulation and ultrasonic waves to improve the appearance of your skin. And that's under 100 bucks. Plus, you get your 30% off when you use code LIFER. Again, that's trophyskin.com, code LIFER. All right, let's get back to the show. I want to share with the audience some really motivating statistics. So let's talk about the relationship to sleep and our hormones. Sleep, because when we talk about hormones, we are talking about weight. And I think oftentimes, for many women, it is the additional weight that becomes the motivating factor. It's like, oh yeah, I've got brain fog, but I can deal with that. I can deal with the brain fog. I can deal with the dry skin. I can deal with the hair loss, but I can't deal with the extra 10 pounds I put on. So sometimes yeah. that's what motivates people to really take control of their hormones. So let's talk about sleep for a second. Yeah. I recently got an aura ring and to my, I guess to my surprise, maybe not, I'm realizing that even though I'm in bed for eight hours, I'm not getting eight hours worth of sleep. So when we're talking about like the amount of sleep that you need, it's not just being in bed for that number of hours. It's how effective you're able to use that sleep and how effective we use that sleep has a lot to do with how we're managing our stress during the day. Tell me about the relationship between sleep and our hormones and sleep and weight gain. Yeah. So much the same way that stress activates cortisol and cortisol makes us pack on weight. 
lack of sleep. So even just getting under seven hours of sleep a night, or even just getting under seven hours of sleep occasionally can activate your cortisol. So it's the exact same thing. It's just a different form of that same stress pathway getting activated, literally the same hormones. But the other thing is that when we're getting good sleep, our brain is producing something called melatonin. Melatonin is an antidote to some of the stress impact that cortisol has on our brain and body. Also, as women, especially before menopause, our ovaries are really important for producing our monthly cycles. And melatonin is also really important for ovarian health. So getting enough sleep is not just good for our brain and our mood and our blood sugar and our cravings and our weight, but it's also good for our reproductive health. So it's kind of all tied together. Mm. So if I suspect based on the symptoms that I'm having that I, I'm not sure whether it's adrenals or if it is my thyroid, I mm-hmm. go and I get some labs done by my doctor and I find out that in fact, I am experiencing problems with my thyroid. Is that something that I should address from a lifestyle standpoint, a medication standpoint? Are there natural supplements that we can use for thyroid support? What is your recommendation when it comes to treating your clients? So it totally depends on a few things. One, it depends on how severe your thyroid dysfunction is and how much it's impacting you. So as I was saying earlier, I mean, you can actually get cognitive dysfunction. Brain fog is what we call it when we forget where we put the keys mm-hmm. or can't remember the name of, you know, the last name of our babysitter's kid's babysitter from 10 years yeah. ago. That's brain fog. Or you feel kind of fuzzy, but you can actually have real cognitive impairment if your thyroid's not functioning. It's almost impossible to lose weight when your thyroid is not functioning because your metabolism is really slowed down. That can have an impact on everything, your blood sugar, inflammation, but also your self-esteem. So it depends on how severe it is. If it's mild and you're someone who's like, you know, I really don't want to be somebody who has to be on a medication, then you can start with just some lifestyle things. But if it's more severe, then it is really important actually to get on a proper thyroid medication. But there are lifestyle things that you can do. So, you know, nothing happens just in a vacuum. Our thyroid is affected by our diet. It's affected by stress, as we were just talking about. It's affected by these environmental endocrine disruptors. So let's just talk about diet. We know that people who are sensitive to gluten, it may have an impact on their thyroid. Mm. So in my practice, I tell all my patients to go gluten-free if they're having a thyroid problem or any autoimmune disease, because that's part of how it affects inflammation. So even if they don't have celiac disease, yep. and for those who do have celiac disease, how important is it? Absolutely. It's like a million percent. You have to go 100% off gluten. Just to tell you a story, I had a patient many years ago who was in her mid-30s. She had three children. She had a full-time job that she had had to leave because she was so tired, job that she had had for 15 years. Before she came to see me, she sent me photographs and she said, I I just want you to see, I look like I'm eight months pregnant. And a lot of women say, you know, I'm bloated. I look like I'm pregnant. But seriously, she was a very tall, very slim woman who had a belly that looked like she was eight months pregnant. And she was just diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And she came to see me because she wasn't sure that she was ready to go on medication, Mm -hmm. but she also wanted to have a more of a lifestyle approach. And I checked her labs and she had true celiac disease. So not just gluten intolerance. 
So we took the gluten completely out of her diet, 100% cross-reactive foods, anything that might be a trigger. She had to stop using the same cutting boards and sponge that she was cleaning up with for her kids. Wow. So intense. Really intense. But I will tell you what, three months, flat belly, no thyroid problem, no need for thyroid medication. So it can be that significant. We know that celiac and Hashimoto's do go hand in hand as conditions. And that person I assume is going to be because of the response in the body that I assume that they're going to just have a ton of inflammation. So they're going to have that swelling. And we know how bad inflammation is for the brain, for gut health, and how all of these things are connected. So it's just by picking this one thing, you can knock down so many other symptoms. Yep. Exactly. So that's remarkable. That's my one food thing is really important. And then the other thing is to go off of artificial sweeteners. Studies have found that even one week on artificial sweeteners can reduce thyroid function and all processed foods. And the specific reason for processed foods isn't to just make everyone go organic and be all peace loving granola. It's that processed foods, especially things that are processed bread products. So pastas, muffins, donuts, chips. Yeah. Well, especially the flour ones, because they have something in them called bromide. Mm. And bromide is a heavy metal. It's in the table of elements like iodine. It's in the same class of heavy metals as iodine. Our body requires iodine for our thyroid to function. But bromide looks so much like iodine, it's almost like an identical twin bumping the kid out of, you know, mom's lap. And then mom's saying, well, which one are you? That bromide can trick the thyroid into thinking it's iodide, but then the thyroid doesn't function on it. It's the wrong molecule. So it doesn't turn the lock and key to make the thyroid work. So I do all processed foods out. Those are some big things. Artificial sweeteners, would you also add stevia to that list? No, studies haven't looked at stevia, but it's really things like Splenda, all of those kind of things. Yeah. I've noticed it when I'm flying, that they just only have artificial sweeteners. I'm like, catch up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, it's time. Okay. So when, when we're thinking about inflammation, we're thinking about our thyroid. Let's say the average person, they have labs done and find out that they, maybe the thyroid isn't operating. Well, it's operating at a functional level, but it certainly doesn't merit going on medication. How can we give our thyroid some TLC so that we do see a little change in our energy, our metabolism, our mood, and all the things that the thyroid is responsible for? Yeah. So one thing is vitamin D. Ah. We know that most people are low in vitamin D, no matter where you live. Even if you're living in the Caribbean, good for you, but you're still probably not getting enough. Mm -hmm. So we want to take about 2,000 units of vitamin D a day. We know that people who have a slow-functioning thyroid often have low vitamin D, but not just that, adding vitamin D in has been shown to improve thyroid function. You want to make sure that you're getting a multivitamin that has iodine in it. So about 190 micrograms of iodine is great. And don't supplement iodine separately. Get it in the multivitamin because sometimes Hmm. people do that and then they're getting way too much and that can damage your thyroid too. Wow. So- multivitamin with iodine. Okay, that's great. Great choice. And then there are a couple of herbs that can be really helpful. One is called ashwagandha. It's an adaptogen, but it has been shown to actually 
increase free T3 and free T4. Not the way medication does, but it can give that thyroid a little boost. But what's really nice about it is it calms that stress response. So it helps reduce inflammation, helps reduce that elevated cortisol. By as much as 15%, it can alter cortisol. And so really, really important to add in some adaptogens if your stress response is overactivated, and that's my favorite one. Mm. And then there's another herb that's a little bit off the beaten path. Most people have probably never heard of it. It's called Google, <laughs> not like the company. It's spelled G-U-G-G-U-L. And I have the information about all of these over on my website at avivaram.com. So folks can go there and get the doses, and then I talk about them in the new book, Hormone Intelligence. So there's a whole chart in the back with the doses and indications for all these different supplements and nutrients. We can actually, while we're on that subject, we can go to your website to order the book as well, correct? You can. I don't sell the book directly, right. but over to vivaram.com forward slash book, there are several link outs to where you can and get it. And of course, book. you can get it on Amazon as well. And I'm just going to mm -hmm. say, this is the kind of book that I see myself pulling off the shelf regularly because we're always going through seasons. We're going through seasons where our hormones change, where our stress levels are different. To me, like this is a book that every woman needs to have on her shelf so she can pull it down regularly and just look up, okay, what's the symptom I'm having and empower herself with that knowledge just by understanding like something as simple as taking a vitamin D supplement and what a difference that can Absolutely. make in our energy. Can you share with us, is there a major or a significant change in our thyroid function as we enter perimenopause and menopause? Well, as we get older, we probably all have heard, right? Metabolism slows down as you get older. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily happen just as a function of perimenopause or menopause. That's usually further into our mid-late 60s and 70s. So when we're looking at thyroid labs in our, you know, whatever age you are, it could be your own thyroid labs, your mom's thyroid labs, or maybe you're helping your mom with them. We can tolerate a little bit of less of an optimal number. Okay. But when we're in perimenopause and menopause, we still really want that, you know, crisp cognitive function. We want to feel good. We want to keep our metabolism up, especially as estrogen shifts. So I don't think we should expect a downturn in our thyroid function just because we're in perimenopause and menopause. Okay. You just mentioned, you know, that weight gain that women often experience when they're perimenopause and menopausal. And I hear from so many women, myself included, where kind of like where you hold weight changes. Yeah. What is that? And is that a hormonal difference? Is that the drop in our estrogen? And why is it you notice that, you know, maybe it's through your stomach or your hips and thighs that where you places where maybe you didn't normally see weight first, now you are seeing it there first. Yes. It's, what is it? It is very annoying, isn't it? It's like so frustrating. It's when I hear right. women get really frustrated about like this feeling of being out of control, like it's just happening no matter what I'm yeah. doing. So what it is, is that for most of our reproductive life, so from when we hit puberty to when we go into menopause, except for while we're pregnant, most of the kind of estrogen we're producing is called estradiol. It's very metabolically stimulating. It's very active. Think of it as like a fiery form of estrogen. Then when we hit menopause, we start producing far less estradiol. It becomes negligible and we're producing estriol. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing. When we're producing estradiol, we're producing it from our ovaries. But menopause happens because our ovaries stop doing very much of the work. They're like, we've had the babies. We've been through this. We're done. And so what happens is your 
hormone production switches over to guess what? What? Your adrenals a little bit, but your fat cells. (laughs) So our body's evolutionary way of allowing us to continue to produce enough estrogen to keep us going is to pack on a little bit of that weight. Yeah. On top of it, a lot of women are starting to have hot flashes and night sweats and disrupted sleeping. So now you've got the downturn in this very metabolic estrogen, your body trying to cause you to gain weight to make more estrogen, and you're not sleeping as well. So you're producing more cortisol. And so it makes you put all that weight. And where we store that menopause weight does tend to be, it's not like women are suddenly fatter, if you will. They're not like, oh my gosh, I'm like suddenly got these giant thighs and giant butt. It's more like I'm thicker all over. They notice that they're just sort of- Every woman right now in her, wherever she's listening is like nodding, going, yes, and what do I do about it? (laughs) And so, you know, that's the question, right? So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is our ovaries Mm -hmm. are like, we're done producing that kind of estrogen. How about we put a little bit more- Pack you with a few more layers of fat. We're just going to pad you up up with some fat cells so that the fat cells will do the work of creating that hormone. Yep. Okay. So here's a couple of cool things you can do. Okay. In addition to the critical fact that we've talked about sleep and how important sleep is, increasing your weight bearing exercise is really important. So start doing some stuff with weights. And if you haven't done some stuff with cardio, You don't have to go all Jane Fonda, you know, Richard Simmons crazy (laughs) on cardio. But what you do want to do is start taking some brisk walks, like really start to make sure you're moving your body on the regular. Find some podcasts you love, pop in a headphone and walk every day. Make it brisk and walk for about 45 minutes. That can be your cardio and that's great. What about the woman who is well beyond that and she is in a state of maybe over-exercising or doing things that are actually placing her body under a lot more stress. She's doing high-intensity interval training multiple times a week, like bringing yourself to the point of exhaustion because she thinks she has to exercise harder to take that body fat off. Is that advisable? Yeah, it's not. I mean, you'll probably stay a little bit leaner, but you're also going to push yourself into that adrenal burnout category. Mm -hmm. It'll affect your sleep. It'll cause you to produce a lot more cortisol. And it produces a lot more inflammation. So therefore the opposite effect. Yeah. I mean, if you love working out and you love working out hard, just do it in moderation. Don't make that your six day or seven day a week or like your twice a day, seven day a week thing. Find a balance, you know, have a few days where you do that, but alternate it with some things like yoga or Pilates, things that are just a little bit more gentle, but still very effective for lean tone sculpting. So, you know, just keep the balance. Here's a quirky, funny thing that people can do if they want to. So, you know, we were talking about that extra padding that you got. (laughs) Most of us, when we put on weight, we put on something called white fat, but there's also something called brown fat and brown fat burns energy. It's not quite as effective as muscle at burning energy, but white fat mostly produces inflammation and just makes us not like how we look or our clothes fit. Brown fat actually helps you burn calories. So how do you build brown fat? Well, exercise, sleep, and cold showers. Mm. How quirky is that? But if you can get to the point where after your warm shower, you start to slowly get used to dialing the temperature down a little bit, start with maybe 15 seconds of tepid. Okay. Then work up to a minute of tepid. Uh-huh. Then 
Go to 15 seconds of cool. Then over a few weeks, work up to a minute of cool. Then take the plunge, like take the cold plunge. How long do I have to be cold? One minute. Okay, I can do that. But you know what? 15 seconds or 30 seconds is better than none. And here's the interesting thing. Our body, well, our brain, I should say, our brain is so resistant to being really cold that we almost anticipate it as if it's going to be pain. Mm -hmm. We didn't do that when we were kids. Yeah. When we were kids, we were like right in the sprinkler. That's right. We had more brown fat as kids too, which ah. is interesting, which is why like you're always burning energy as a kid. But if you work your way up to it, but you have to psych yourself into it, because every time, I guarantee you, every time until you get really used to it, my brain still <laughs> is like, yeah, no, I think I'll skip it today. No, don't skip it today. Do it. And then I do it. So I'm, I do 30 seconds of as cold as I can. And what about then doing, for those who are able to do such, cryotherapy? I've never used it, so I can't speak to it, but I do my own. My own is cheap. It's in my shower. <laughs> but you can do it at home without having to go to a, another facility and undress. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I think that sounds yeah. like a great place to start is yeah. in our shower, and right? One more thing for women with that metabolism change at perimenopause and that weight is you can consider intermittent fasting. It's not for everyone. But if you are in perimenopause and menopause and you're finding that weight creeping up, you may find that intermittent fasting is really effective. It definitely reduces inflammation. It helps with insulin resistance, but it can also help with that curb that weight. So what is intermittent fasting? Basically, instead of eating three meals a day, you're eating two meals a day and you're keeping your eating in a kind of time-constrained window. So maybe you eat breakfast at 11, you eat dinner at seven, you're done. If you need to have a snack in there, maybe you have a handful of nuts or a green drink, you know, just a juice, not with added sugar, and that's it. And I recommend sticking to like four to six week intervals of it. Ah, there we go. So do There's it for the key. four to six weeks. So you want us mm -hmm. to phase it, do it. And, and so that the body doesn't become overstressed by it. Exactly. So do it for, you know, try it for a week, try it for two weeks, try it for a few days, see if you like it. If you like it, keep doing it. Do it for a few weeks. Check in with yourself. Are you feeling great? If you're feeling great, keep doing it. But after like four or six weeks, hit pause, mm. go back to the three meals a day, go back to that for a couple of weeks, then go back to the intermittent fasting. You can also intermittent fast two or three days a week. You don't have to do mm -hmm. it every day. Mm -hmm. So you could do it for an initial phase, phase back in the three meals, but then do it a couple of days a week. We have so many listeners who are you know, very familiar, regular practicing intermittent fasting, but if they've gotten to a place where it was working, so, and then now it's, it's not working. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to push that window later and later in the day. I'm going to condense it down to a four hour eating window and doing it for prolonged periods of time. And I think we obviously don't have a lot of research on this, but my hypothesis is you just look at the body. The body wants to put us back into a, a normalized state. So it's going to say like, oh, okay, you're starving us all the time. And it starts to have the opposite effect. And I think it's really exactly. great advice to suggest that we phase that in and out. Yep. We're so afraid to let go of, so once something works as women, we think, okay, well, once it stops working, what I need to do is keep doing it and do it do harder. It harder. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And this isn't always the case, is it? No. And also what can start to happen is you start to reward yourself in funny little ways. So you're not going to eat your lunch until 10, but you're going to have that like mocha frappuccino in the morning because it's a coffee. 
or you get so hungry because you hit the gym and you didn't eat anything because you're waiting to your intermittent fast break, but now you eat even more than you would have usually eaten because you're so over hungry. Mm. Or we reward ourselves for waiting. And so we're eating this, you know, hungry man dinner when that's not really what we need. So it's not about, you know, fitting three meals into two either. It's about, you know, a really reasonable breakfast meal, that mid morning brunch, and then a really reasonable dinner. And like I said, if you need a snack in between, but the phasing I think is all the difference. And men may not need that, yeah. but women do. How dare they? It's mm-hmm. not easy to be a female, is it? No. <laughs> okay. They don't have any of that metabolic stuff. Right. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is a concept you refer to in the book called energy leaks that we're unaware of. So can you address yeah. a few of those for us? Yeah. You know, it's the FOMO. It's anything that makes that's draining us that we do have some control over. So it may be the neighbor that always shows up to talk to you over the fence when you're about to do something in your garden. Mm. So you never get your gardening done. You never get your time alone, but you feel too polite to say anything. It's the person in your family who makes snipey little comments to you that make you feel bad. And now you actually feel bad. So something else you were going to do gets derailed. It's all the little things that drain us it's the not being able to say no. I mean, yeah. what's that expression? If you want something done, ask a busy person. Mm-hmm. So it's just the inability to set boundaries and say no when we really need to that leads us to become drained, exhausted, and maybe sometimes even irritated and resentful. Yes. And what we end up doing is we lose sleep or we reward ourselves with the sugar or the glass or three of wine, or maybe we spend money we didn't have on something, or even if we had it that we didn't need, but like all these rewards that we're trying to patch these energy leaks rather than actually having boundaries. Interestingly, eating too much sugar can be an energy leak because you're getting false energy from the sugar and then you have a sugar crash and you're more tired than you were had you just eaten something healthy or just not eaten the sugar. So our food can be an energy leak. Netflix can be an energy leak. The internet at night can be an energy leak. You know you need to go to sleep. You're tired. You've got to wake up because you're now you're trying to get that seven to nine hours of sleep that we talked about. And an hour goes by and you've just been mindlessly flipping through Instagram and maybe not even mindlessly. Maybe you've been stressing as you you know flip through the Instagram about how cute everyone else's <laughs> clothes are this summer or whatever it is. You know, so those are also energy leaks. And these are things that we do have control over setting boundaries over. You can say to your neighbor, I love talking with you, but I really need to work in my garden right now. And this isn't a good time. Or, you know, you can have the honest conversation that I really enjoy talking with you, but I need to set scheduled time because yes. I just work really hard and I need some privacy in my backyard. Yeah. Did this yesterday. I was at the gym and as I was walking to the gym, I thought to myself, I just really want to get to this workout without having to be interrupted and have 10 conversations mm-hmm. with people that I know from the area. So I put my headphones on, hoping that that would be like a sign, like not available. But of course it's not. You see people you know. And I did. I walked up to, you know, encountered someone that I knew. And I said, oh, I want to catch up with you, but I literally have 20 minutes to fit this in. We've got a set of time and, and just walked away as opposed to you know, kind of being that people pleaser and losing 20 minutes of my workout to catch up with someone when I needed that for me. Yeah. I mean, it's saying to that person also, like, I really appreciate that you have an opinion on this or that you're looking out for my interests. Or whenever we get together, I spend the rest of the afternoon feeling really upset or sad because of these things. And I can't hear them every time I get together with you. It also sometimes means changing relationships or changing a job or changing who we hang out with. Yeah. Amazing how our relationships can also have an impact on our hormones. 
Dr. Aviva, I have to say this book is fantastic. Hormone Intelligence. I suggest every woman needs to pick up a copy. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you've got daughters, you should buy her a copy too, because it's not taught. And you do such a great job in the beginning of the book of kind of helping us to understand why it is we know so little about our hormone health Mm -hmm. and why we have no other option but to be informed. And it starts with understanding our own bodies and our reproductive health and our hormones. And when we, knowledge is power. And with that power, we can do so much. So first of all, thank you for writing the book. I encourage everyone to pick it up. And thank you for being a guest here on The Shalene Show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Shalene, for having me on the show. And it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope everyone gets the book for their daughter, their mother, their sister. Like it becomes that book that we're talking about. Legit. I ordered one for my daughter. (laughs) I've got my own copy sitting here. So thank you. Thank you.